Heads up listeners, this episode contains discussion of suicide, anxiety, depression, and other mental health issues. So please be advised. founder of Teen Brain Trust and one of the hosts of Hope Punk Parenting Podcast. This is a short form podcast for anyone raising a teenager. Teen Brain Trust brings together a community of mental health experts, neuroscientists, educators, and parents like me in short form audio to demystify adolescence, help you build a better relationship with your teenager, and help raise the next generation of change makers. This episode is the fourth and final episode in our series on the teen mental health crisis. We're joined by Teen Brain Trust board member and expert on teen anxiety and depression, Dr. Dana Dorfman, to weigh in on these issues and hopefully provide some clarity for all the worried parents out there like me. Dana has 25 years of clinical experience treating children, adolescents, parents, and adults, working with mental health agencies, parenting centers, schools, and more organizations. So Dana, let's talk about practical things parents can start doing right now to support their teen's mental health. Okay, let's do it. We're finally in a place as a society where mental health is being taken seriously. We're finally acknowledging that mental health is as important to our overall well-being as physical health. Finally, right? Mental health is way less stigmatized than it used to be, and we're finally able to have practical, real-world conversations about it, like this one. That being said, learning how to take care of our physical health is pretty common knowledge. We know that we should get enough sleep, eat healthy, and when we get a cut, we should put on antiseptic and a Band-Aid. But that kind of basic care and treatment for mental health still seems like some sort of big, complicated thing that only professionals can handle. So what are things that parents can start doing right now in their own homes that help support good mental health in their teens? The one big thing and probably the most important thing is for parents to create a safe emotional space for kids to be able to express themselves and to talk about their feelings. Uh, I hear the term safe emotional space, and I'm worried that it might feel a little woo-woo or not tangible enough to some of our listeners. What is a safe emotional space, and why should creating it be a parent's first priority? Uh, I can't believe that you're accusing me of being (laughs) (laughs) woo-woo. But there's more and more research to support the idea that Human beings are vulnerable creatures. We are wired to protect ourselves and to protect ourselves from feeling vulnerable. So it takes some strength and courage to be able to know when we feel vulnerable, tolerate it, and to feel safe enough to be able to express it to those around us. There is not a teenager in the world who doesn't wonder if they're a little bit crazy or if they're the only ones who feel how they feel. Even the most secure, confident teenagers at some point feel like maybe they're weird or or off. The more that we can allow our teenagers to sort of express the range of feelings that they experience and that we don't judge, criticize, malign, the safer they're going to feel. 
emotions cannot be right or wrong. They just are. And so a lot of times there are facts, you know, that that could be right or wrong, objectively right or wrong, but feelings cannot be. All of our emotions are based on our own experiences, our own biology. And so when someone expresses an emotion that they're having, well, we might not like it or we might not want them to feel it. That's what they're feeling. And so it's inarguable and therefore worth exploration and certainly not worth arguing about. So I hear you say create emotional space, Dana. And for me, that brings up what I do with my boys. It's kind of like I've said to them, I want you to know that you can come to me no matter how badly you guys have fucked up. We, there is always a solution that we can come up with together. You can always feel comfortable coming to me and we can problem solve together. I think that that's what, that is exactly what helps kids feel safe. And I think that even the times that we F up or screw up that, or we feel like we've failed, I really encourage parents to go back to their kids and even say, you know, I think that I didn't handle this so well, or I wish that I had handled this differently, or even I screwed up at work and, and, you know, was rude to my colleague. And now I really regret doing it. That the more that kids can see that we too make mistakes and that's how we grow and that's how we learn, then the less charged it is for kids to say like, all right, I made a mistake. Okay, Dana. So safe emotional spaces are great to have. How can we actually create them so our kids actually get all these benefits you're talking about. So you know that you have created a safe emotional space for your teens when the following happens. When your teen is able to check in with themselves, when they're able to identify how it is that they're feeling, and then when they're able to express it in some kind of effective or direct way. Oftentimes that is by verbalizing the feeling. When your teen is able to do these things, I think that you can feel relatively confidently that you have created a safe emotional space. I don't want to sound like a broken record, but the more comfortable parents are talking about their own emotions, particularly their vulnerable feelings, the safer an environment it is for their kids. And that doesn't mean that we have to be, you know, fumbling, bumbling, weeping people all of the time but absolutely sort of talking about times of regret or talking about times that were disappointed are just helpful for kids to hear. It also just reminds, reminds everybody about the language that we use and the language that we use to describe what goes on inside of us. It's much harder than we think to to know what it is that we're feeling. I spend most of my days in my office helping people describe or attach words to what it is that they're feeling. So you want us to really own when we have emotional outbursts? Uh, As much as I hate to say it, yes. (laughs) That none of us like to admit it. And so if a parent can kind of tolerate their own feelings of shame or even forego those feelings and give themselves the opportunity to be able to revisit something, to be able to say, you know, I'm sorry, or I wish that I had dealt with this differently, or I didn't like the way that I said that, 
I often encourage parents, and I really try to do this in my own home, is to talk about my own emotions kind of as they're happening or in the moment. I think sometimes my family wishes that they weren't getting a play-by-play of how it is that I'm feeling. But I do think that the more that we can express our feelings in present time, the more beneficial it is for kids for several reasons. The first is that we're modeling for them how to express emotions verbally. You're also sort of being completely present with your emotion and demonstrating how to do it in real time. And because we're at, we're asking our teenagers to be vulnerable with us, to expose their vulnerable feelings to us, which I think conveys some innate trust. And so we're also exposing our vulnerability to them or sharing our vulnerability with them, which conveys an element of trust and normalizes those feelings. You're talking a lot about how we parents need to manage our own emotions Is that it? What about our kids' emotions? So I think it's important for parents to bear in mind that kids are supposed to experience some kind of stress and kids are supposed to or will invariably experience unhappiness and um, displeasure or distress. Our job is not necessarily to try to help them feel better. It's really helping them learn to know what it is that's going on inside of them, to know what their feelings are, and to figure out ways to manage it, tolerate it, and to effectively express it. A lot of times, parents go into problem-solving mode. They feel anxious themselves. They're eager to eradicate or get the child to feel better. They don't want the child to be in any kind of distress. So then they impose some kind of problem-solving which conveys to the child that there's something wrong with feeling anxious, unhappy, distressed, when in fact it is appropriate to feel anxious before a test. Uh, It's appropriate to feel unhappy when your romantic partner breaks up with you. So you're, you're validating the feeling that they're having and also helping them sort of move through that feeling. The other thing is that we're creating these safe spaces for them to feel the uncomfortable feelings. If they know that it is acceptable and normal and part of being human to feel these feelings, they are more likely to express them. If they feel shame or um, they're concerned that the feelings are not going to be tolerated, they're more likely to keep them inside. And it is much harder for anybody to express those kinds of feelings, the feelings of, you know, of vulnerability, shame, humiliation, rejection. Those are all much harder feelings and require a much safer environment in order to feel um, okay to express them. So in addition to managing our own emotions, we really need to learn to be comfortable seeing our kids manage their own uncomfortable emotion and giving them the space to do that and letting them know it's okay to do that, which is really hard. I think I've said this before, but I think that is the hardest part of parenting is seeing your child in any kind of emotional pain. As much as I'm preaching that this is not the goal, it is so hard to sit with. 
Dana, I know so many parents that say their teenagers don't talk to them. How can they then create a safe space for the teens that are not really talking to their parents? Yeah, that's actually, that is a great point. And I'm glad that we are addressing this as well, because part of being an adolescent is also separating from one's parents, becoming an emotionally separate person with a separate identity, and also identifying more strongly with their peers. So a lot of times kids are not necessarily going to confide in their parents, no matter how loving and safe parents try to uh, make make their home or the environment. A lot of times, though, when kids are really scared, like when they are scared about a friend who's actually, you know, drinking too much, or they find out something about a friend who might be in a crisis, or they themselves think that they're in some kind of crisis, a lot of times kids will confide in an adult that they trust. So even though a teenager might not necessarily talk to a parent directly about it, they oftentimes will find a teacher at school, a counselor, a coach, a a friend's parent to get some kind of guidance or help or support. The other thing is, I think it's helpful to convey to kids that if there is ever a situation where they are terrified of our disapproval to know that they're that they can let you know something that they're afraid of or concerned about and that you will that will suspend judgment or what yeah when both of our teenagers started going to parties and we had many discussions about you know drinking and um, drugs and things, but um, but we also know that kids get themselves into situations and they get themselves into situations more deeply sometimes than they intend to. So we have also said to them, look, every time they go to a party, if if at any point you want to leave or if you feel like you need extra support or help, you can call us at any time, no questions asked. And while that may sound like a subtle kind of permission slip to go and do you know, anything they please, I think that the stronger message that they're getting is we also understand that kids make mistakes. We also understand that kind of in the moment situations are different than they are when we're discussing them at home and that we can tolerate mistakes even if we're not pleased and even if they have defied us in some way we're also letting them know that we are we understand that they're human the most important thing is safety and that you can come to us me with anything no no questions asked exactly If, as you're listening to this, you're thinking, you know, I want to make a culture shift or I want to, as people are using the word, pivot. The one thing that I would strongly recommend you do is to start talking about your own your own mistakes and your own failures, not necessarily your historic mistakes. Like I remember when I was, you know, a teenager and I did blah, 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 and now I regret it because that's ancient history. But if you can talk about something current, I think that the more vulnerable you can be, the more safe everybody feels. Absolutely. And that creates such an emotional safe space. 
So this wraps up our four-part series on the teen mental health crisis, but we will continue revisiting these topics and providing more tools and actionable takeaways in future episodes. If you're hungry for the more practical tools you can use to support your teen and their mental health, you can get a free month to all of our courses at www.teenbraintrust.com if you use the coupon code podcast at checkout. Thank you for listening. And if you found it helpful or insightful, we'd love it if you would leave a review. We hope that after listening to this series, you have a little more clarity and peace of mind around these topics and that you feel more equipped to have some of these hard conversations with your teens.